All right, I appreciate you. James and choir, orchestra, band. Man, they're hot this morning, aren't they? Leading us into the presence of the Lord, and we appreciate them. A lot of them uh, serve two services, too. Y'all give it up for them as they head out. Some of them are exiting. Appreciate y'all helping out. Uh, so much, you know. Um, this morning, we continue our series through Luke's Gospel. So if you got a Bible, say amen. And I'd invite you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. Luke, chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 46 and go all the way through 56 this morning, Lord willing. You know, we're continuing this series called Show Me Your Glory. And uh, God's glory falls down upon great churches and ultimately, great churches are comprised of great disciples. So this morning, we really want to ask the question, what is a great disciple according, not to man, but to the Lord Jesus? So we're going to see that in our text today, and hopefully some of these principles will challenge you and spur you on in your walk with the Lord as they have uh, me. So Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 46, where we'll start. Stand with me in honor of God's Word. And uh, you got it there in front of you, say yes. And if not, then uh, look with a neighbor or check it out on the screen up here behind me. Luke 9, 46. The Bible says, and this is the disciples hanging out. But the Bible says, an argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their hearts, took a child and stood him by his side. And said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. And John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you. And when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for Jesus. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Those are some awesome guys, aren't they? <laughs> Burn them up. Verse uh, 55, and he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. How many of you say amen to that? So he didn't come to destroy them, but to save them, and they went on to another village. Let's bow together. Father, it's a great honor to uh, preach your words. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, give me unction from heaven, that I might speak what you desire and you alone. And God, I pray for this fellowship as we gather together to hear from you, that you would uh, clean out our ears, that we might be able to listen clearly to what the Spirit of the Lord would say. And God, I pray that we would leave here knowing that we've been in your presence. Thank you for uh, coming this morning and being with us. And now we pray that you would continue uh, to show your glory manifest here among us for your namesake. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, Amen. And you can be seated. So we continue that series, Show Me Your Glory. You know, God has reserved his glory for the New Testament church. We've learned that together over the past couple of weeks. And as the people of God gather together to worship Christ authentically, God invades the premises. And the word glory speaks of weight. And so we talk about the weight of his presence is sensed and the power of his might actually works among us. And when we encounter the Lord of glory in worship, we want nothing less, we want nothing more. In fact, if we really encounter Jesus in worship, we no longer want entertainment and ritual on Sunday morning. We're like, just give me Jesus, right? 
And then when we encounter the Lord of glory as a fellowship, we rejoice to hear the word of God. So we leave with a sense that God himself has spoken to us. And this is the kind of gathering I believe all of us want to experience every single weekend. So we don't want to be a fellowship that causes Jesus to lament or mourn. Instead, we want to be a faith-filled fellowship, trusting God's mighty power to deliver people from death, deliver them from hell, sin, bondage, and demonic activity. How many of you believe God has the power to deliver? Amen. And, you know, we've got to be uh, very um, faith-filled on this concept. Because if we're not careful, we can give lip service to the Lord and say, we believe the Lord can deliver, but we don't bring individuals who need to be delivered. Are y'all out there? Uh, the man who was paralyzed had four friends who brought his paralyzed friend, they brought his friend to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says Jesus looked upon their faith and he marveled and he worked mightily. So if we say we believe God has the power to deliver, then wherever Jesus is, that's where we want to bring those people so that the Lord can work in their hearts. And you know, it's a prayer of my heart as well as many others that God's freedom would be experienced every single weekend in this place. And I'm overwhelmed at the fact that uh, we've seen that increase uh, over the years as God continues to work in the life of the church body and we grow in our relationship with him. Uh, we sing wholeheartedly. Uh, we're even Baptist up in here, and some people are raising their hands. It's crazy. But you know, the Bible actually says, lift up your hands to the Lord. So it's a command. So it don't matter if you're Baptist or not. Are you all all right? And it also says, sing to the Lord. So I don't know how you can sit in a worship service and not sing to the Lord. When God puts a song in your heart. You don't care what you sound like anymore. You sing to the Lord because he's worthy. Now, as we minister to one another in the body using our God-given gifts, we display our complete dependence upon God alone to work among us as we pray and fast. And in this context, this attitude of desperation, this single-hearted idea that if God doesn't show up, we are wasting our time, in that context, God unleashes his power to save, restore, as well as to heal. And when a local church genuinely encounters the Lord Jesus, the fellowship is overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord and amazed at the greatness of God. And after spending uh, time with the church for almost two years now, uh, I'm completely settled on the fact that Concord does not desire to be an average church. Now, the overall heartbeat of this fellowship is to fulfill the mission of Christ, which is to make disciples everywhere. The overall heartbeat of this fellowship is to rise to the challenge of glorifying God and seeing his name honored in our current culture. We don't want to be a dead church. Can I get a witness on that? We do not desire to be a dead church, nor do we want to be some average church. We want to be a great church impacting our community with the glory of God for his fame and his alone. And this morning, we're going to see that God displays his glory among the fellowship that genuinely understands what it means to be great. And in order to be a great fellowship that experiences the glory of God, we have to be a fellowship that is made up of great disciples. So this morning, we're going to get a quick glimpse at some principles of what a great disciple looks like. So if you want to be a great disciple, I encourage you to jot these things down and ask whether or not these three statements are being lived out in your life. 
So I want to give you these three statements. Then also I'm going to give you uh, some personal testimony of where I have blown it in all three of these categories. And so uh, you should listen in to find out how your pastor messed up. Are you all all right? So I'm going to share those things with you. But the first way and statement that a great disciple lives by is very simple, but here it is. I am not too good to serve. I'm not too good to serve. That's what a great disciple says. Look at verse 46 in your Bible. An argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. So here we have the disciples hanging out with each other. They're talking about the kingdom of God. It's a great topic for them to be conversing on. But you'll remember that three of them had the privilege of going up on the mountain with Jesus and seeing the glory of the Son of God. But the other nine did not have the opportunity to see that. So many scholars believe what was driving the argument in this particular text was this idea on who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. So you can imagine the three who got the privilege of seeing the glory of the Son of God. Maybe they were like, we got it going on, man. We saw something y'all didn't see. But there was this argument happening. Who is the greatest? The word greatest in the New Testament, uh, the Greek New Testament is the word megas, where we get the English word mega. It describes that which is large. But here it specifically speaks about the idea of being first, to have prominence, literally to have a position of authority, one of influence and one of leadership. And each one of them, in the context of the 12 disciples, wanted to be the center of attention. They wanted to be recognized as great among others in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In fact, they were looking for Christ's kingdom to be established on the earth right then and there. They didn't understand the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, and the return of Christ. They weren't privy to that just yet. And so they were thinking that Jesus would set up and establish his kingdom right here and now. But they wanted to be in the conversation of all of the people who lived around them when they were talking about the kingdom of Christ. So in other words, it'd be like you've got this group of people who are maybe Greek or Gentile or maybe some Jews and they're talking about the kingdom of Jesus. They wanted their name to be recognized, that they might talk about James or John, Bartholomew, one of the other disciples. And so that was the argument. But you know, I found uh, that those in the context of the kingdom of Christ, like the disciples who wanted to have some kind of say-so in the movement uh, are very similar to those in the context of our current culture who want to have some kind of say-so in what the Lord is doing. Uh, this is the idea of greatness, not only in the culture of Scripture, but it is also the idea of greatness in the context of our current day. People desire to be individuals of prestige, of influence, of power. It's considered synonymous with being great. To have some say-so is a big deal. Sadly, that kind of attitude can be expressed in the context of any ministry. And those who have that attitude, they have no concept of service. Uh, the reality is they come to church and think everything revolves around them. And everything is catered to meet their particular needs. But that's not the context of the church. Those who are great disciples come and they say, I want to serve. I need to serve. So they're looking for those opportunities. They want to know what it is, uh, not what's in it for them, but how can they help move the mission forward? In verse 47, Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, and somebody's like, how do you know what they were thinking in their heart? Because he's God. <laughs> you like that one, didn't you, brother? <laughs> the Bible says he took a child and stood him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. 
For the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. Now, remember, Jesus is already a little fed up with the disciples because of their lack of faith and misguided thinking. We talked about that last Sunday concerning their God-given gifts. So imagine how he must have felt when he came up on this particular scene. Jesus takes a small child, and it basically is like this. Whoever welcomes and ministers to a child like this in my name, they are welcoming me. And not only that, but also as they minister to a child like this, they are encountering God the Father who sent me. You know, one commentator put it like this, and I'll quote him. He says, ministry to children is a mark of greatness. Ultimately, those who are great in the kingdom of God are not those who control the most people, but rather those who serve others. And throughout the scripture, we're reminded to serve those who are the least among us. You know, those who serve without any desire for power, recognition, authority, influence, and earthly honor are those considered great in the kingdom. So Jesus is like, you serve others like you would serve a child. This child can't offer you power. This child can't offer you authority or recognition. But you serve people with that kind of attitude, and glory comes down on the fellowship. And Jesus goes on to say, notice in the text, for the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. Now, the word least here obviously is the opposite of megas or mega or great. It uh, literally speaks of being unimportant. Think about it like this. Those who are unimportant in the eyes of the world as they serve Jesus, those are the ones who are great in the eyes of Jesus Christ. Those who are the ones uh, who will experience the glory of God come down. You know, Paul the Apostle, uh, I would say, experienced the presence of the Lord in his life. Would you all agree with that? Paul the Apostle had it going on. Asking you all a question. Preaching is two-way communication, all right? But y'all would agree, right? Paul had it going on. Paul the Apostle said, The world looks at believers as dregs of society. The word dregs uh, in that particular context literally speaks about the dirt and the trash that is left over on a dish after you eat. So you can think, you know, this afternoon you'll go home and you'll be eating, and after you're done you'll have all the leftovers, and they'll be on your plate, and somebody, probably the husband, will volunteer to clean up the table. <laughs> and he'll take all the dishes and he will scrape off what is left. He's getting rid of the dreg which is left on that plate. Paul the Apostle says the world looks at the New Testament church like we are dregs of society. We are like the trash that is thrown into the garbage. And then he goes on and states that the light, are y'all listening and say yes? This is awesome. The light and momentary affliction that we receive on this earth does not compare with the weight of the glory of God which will be given to us when we see Christ face to face. So it would be all worth it, man. But here's the deal. Uh, we aren't as important as we may think that we are. And when we try to get everybody else thinking that we are important, we got some bad issues. Y'all out there? And that's what they're arguing about. So Jesus comes and basically gets in on them and reminds them that they are to serve the least among them. Now, I told you I was going to tell you where I blew it. I've blown it on several occasions. But one that stands out to me as I was studying uh, was overseas in Africa, uh, training pastors with another guy who had invited me to come. 
So we're hanging out there, and we're teaching through the book of Philippians. Philippians is an awesome book, by the way. Uh, only four chapters, but its primary point is that the church should be unified, and the church should serve one another. So that's a pretty big deal. In fact, Jesus is given as a primary example, who although existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant. So Jesus came and gave us that phenomenal picture of what it looked like to serve. So we taught that all week long. Well, at the end of the training, the pastors who were uh, there had a great idea. They wanted to have a foot washing service. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all know what I'm talking about? foot washing service and so they went down to the nearest place where there was some water running and uh, they gathered some of that out of the river and put it in these plastic pails and brought it up to the place where we were training well the water I could look at it it was absolutely filthy before anybody's feet went into it and then I looked at these uh, African pastors who were wearing sandals many of them uh, that were barely hanging onto their feet they had dirt and mud caked on their toes and they decided to have this particular foot washing service. Uh, myself, as well as the guy who invited me, we stood back and did not participate. Now, he justified it. I remember his justification. Uh, he basically said, these pastors need to do this so they can learn to love one another. It's a good one. Yeah. Now, bottom line is, the reason... Uh, that we did not do it is because it was gross. Are y'all out there? Didn't want to be involved in that. Uh, but also, the other bottom line is that we missed an opportunity to actually experience God. Missed it completely. Sitting back, not serving. You know, nobody would ever say it with their mouth, I don't think, uh, but the way we were acting on this occasion is that we were too good to serve. And uh, God is not honored with that. God was not pleased with our attitude on that particular day in Africa. You know, as I thought about this fellowship and uh, the people that we have coming was just, I don't even know how to explain it. It's awesome. Uh, but I want to encourage you, uh, this place is not going to meet all of your needs. So if you're coming up in here and you think this is Burger King, you is not going to have it your way. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Don't fall out like that. We don't have the ability to do that. But if you are looking for a place where you can serve others, this is the spot. If you're looking for a place which is concerned about those who don't have a relationship with Christ, good spot. But if you're here and you're like, let's see if they can do what the last church couldn't, you probably need to look somewhere else. Y'all all right? Because we would just not be able to help you, man. We have to have the attitude of a great disciple. A great disciple says, I am not too good to serve. Now, y'all with me? Say yes. Thinking about Concord Baptist Church. How are we doing in this area? Well, Jesus is like, hey, y'all want to be great? I mean, just, just think for a minute. Jesus is here, all right? Let's say he's here in the flesh, which will just be radical, by the way. And... Um, he will be one day. But anyway, so, uh, and y'all will flat sing then, boy. You'd be like, that's right. That'd be awesome. But anyway, so, uh, get our praise on for real. But if he was here this morning in the flesh, it's almost like he would grab a child from the audience and put it up here and say, hey, y'all want to be great? See this child? Serve this child. You serve this child, you're receiving me. And you serve this child, you're not receiving me, you're receiving God. 
Want to be great? Serve those who are least among us. Now, I'm thinking about Concord Baptist Church after I read this particular uh, text uh, from the commentator where he says, Ministry to children uh, is considered great in the kingdom of God. And then uh, looking at our fellowship, are y'all with me right now? Say yes. I'm going to talk to you for real. Looking at our fellowship where we are lacking the greatest ministry is in preschool and children. That's all my word. So many opportunities, listen, to meet God through serving the least among us. And people are like, I ain't got time for that, man. I've already done that. Missing the Lord. Missing him. If we want to be a great church, we want to experience God, uh, I'll just say it like Jesus. See these children? Y'all still out there? Y'all still my friend? <laughs> Somebody said almost. Oh, not so sure now. Y'all want me to go on to the second statement? <laughs> yeah, I hear you. But anyway, so uh, second statement. Here we go. Be a great disciple. Here it is. We must live by this statement. I enjoy seeing God use others. Look at verse 49. This is pretty cool. John answered and said, uh, Master, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name. We tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us. Now, think about this for just a moment. Jesus just told them to serve this child. And John, what does he do? He tries to change the subject. So let's, think, oh, let's talk about something else. So we're like, Jesus, uh, there was this guy casting out demons. We tried to stop him, but we couldn't do it. There was this sense that what they were unable to do, which was cast out a demon, we talked about that last Sunday, they, they saw others were doing it. They didn't want this power or this ministry of some outsider to take precedence over their own. They were so jealous, so envious. They were afraid that they were losing control of the kingdom because others were doing what they were supposed to be doing. So John thought they had a monopoly on the mighty works of God. And so they disregarded and even tried to stop others from experiencing his power. And um, just looking at this text, it reminds me this could happen in the context of a growing fellowship. You have a growing fellowship. You have a, a new influx of people. And when people show up and they start serving, you may have some who've been here for a little while. If you're not careful, you can look at those who are showing up and say, what are they doing? What are they trying to serve? This is what I do. This is my ministry. Uh, they don't need to be, they need to find something else. How would Jesus respond to that attitude? Verse 50, Jesus said, don't hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you. So here Jesus is like, leave him alone. You should be glad that God's power is being witnessed among others. So let me kind of ask you the question. How are you when you see God using others mightily? Are you like John? Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you're like, Lord, these people shouldn't even be doing this ministry. They probably aren't doing it right anyway. Or do you genuinely rejoice in how God is working through the lives of other people? So I can say it like this. If you're a small group leader, uh, do you rejoice when God uses another disciple uh, to disciple more than you? Or are you a bit jealous? Do you rejoice when God uses someone to share the gospel with those who are far from God? Or do you envy them? Jealousy and envy really have a foothold in a person's life when they start trying to hinder the work of God in someone's ministry. Now, I remember when I first started preaching, uh, I used to get jealous of some of my friends who were also preachers. Uh, I'd see them in seminary and uh, they would begin to talk about what God was doing through the ministry that they were a part of. And God was really just blowing it up. People were getting saved. It was awesome. 
and I began to hear them. And at first, I was kind of smiling, thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but then after a little bit, I started comparing what was going on in my life with what was going on in their life. And then eventually, I got a little bit jealous of them. And then before you know it, jealousy led to envy. I'm like, I wish I had what they had. And then before you know it, envy turns to bitterness. And so those same guys that I used to smile with, I start looking at kind of funny. Then before you know it, I don't even want to be around them. I'd be saying stuff like, that dude can't preach. What you talking about? What are they doing down there? They probably ain't even preaching the Bible. <laughs> Y'all didn't know I had problems like that, did you? Uh, you got them too. As we look at others and we become jealous, that is not the attitude which Christ desires for us to have. But instead, we should rejoice when God works in the lives of others. We as a fellowship should rejoice when other churches are experiencing a great movement of God as well. So if we hear about a church down the street and God's really on the place and people are being saved, we shouldn't sit back and say, well, why ain't our church doing that? No, we should sit back and say, praise be to God, he's saving people down there in that place. So we just get fired up about it. You know, our uh, fellowship had the great privilege on Sunday at the park to see people saved. And uh, the staff here began to take a look at all of those who prayed to receive the Lord. And some of them weren't members of our church, but they were members of other churches. And so they got on the phone and called the pastor of the other church and said, Hey, just letting you know, so-and-so came to our Sunday at the park and prayed to receive Christ. Pastor responds, Are y'all really calling other churches and telling them that? Yep. They got saved here, but that's yours, man. Y'all all right? But it's amazing when that kind of stuff happens. Kind of reminds me when the disciples were out fishing and they threw the nets to the other side. And the Bible says that they had such a large amount of fish, they couldn't get them all in. Y'all remember this? And so what they do, they hollered at another boat. It's like, get over here and help us out, man. We got so many fish, we can't get them all in. <laughs> That's a good fishing day, y'all all right? And so they did. They came over there and they helped them get all in. That should be the picture of the fellowship. God is giving a great harvest of individuals. We ought to be able to call out to others and say, get over here to help us get them all in the boat. And vice versa. We just praise the Lord. So, hey, if you see somebody that God is really using them, don't sit back and get jealous and bitter and be like, they probably don't even know what day of the week it is. What you should do is sit back and say, thank you, God, for using that individual in our fellowship. And sit down and write them an encouraging note. Y'all all right? Love on a man. When you act like that, you'll be shocked. The glory of God will fall in your... You will know that you are walking with the Lord. There's a third statement, and I like this one. Um, I show mercy to those who are far from God. That's the attitude of a great disciple. I show mercy to those who are far from God. Are y'all still with me? Say amen. Here it is, verse 51, last little point here. Uh, when the days were approaching... For his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him, but they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. So now, in this text, Jesus was headed to Jerusalem to accomplish the word of God on the cross. He was going there to offer up himself as a sacrifice, a substitute for our sins. That is, Jesus was going to die for the sins of the world, be resurrected, and ascend into the heavens. Jesus was going to accomplish what no other person could accomplish. So Jesus was on the way, and, and they were going to go through Samaria. However, Jews and Samaritans, don't know if you know this, but they're not on great terms. Uh, they're pretty much enemies. So when the messengers came back, the disciples were hot, man. They absolutely blew their temper. Verse 54, when his disciples James and John saw them, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? 
And I still love that verse. I think it should be a life verse. Y'all listening? We at the church should get t-shirts and just put that verse on it. Just the text, right? Just Luke 9, verse 54. And then people go home and they'd be reading it. Be like, what's that church's problem? <laughs> I thought that was funny. None of y'all laughed. Issues. But anyway, so... Uh, just a trip, what's going on here? These two brothers who Jesus called sons of thunder wanted to drop the boom on the people in Samaria. And I'm confident as they saw what was going on in Samaria that they had remembered how Elijah called upon God to send down fire which consumed the wet altar of the false god Baal. And God showed himself uh, glorious in that moment that the Bible says in the Old Testament that the fire even licked up the dust of the altar. So they're like, hey, Jesus, these Samaritans, man, they worship false gods. They won't let us go through there. Let's just call fire down on them and let them burn. Verse 55, but he turned and rebuked them. Uh, a rebuke just simply means stop it. So Jesus is like, stop that. And then he says, uh, you don't know what kind of a spirit you are of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives but to save them. And they went on to another village. So the men thought God's power and glory would be revealed in the fire that would consume the people of Samaria. However, Jesus set them straight that they were not understanding his glory at work. And listen, in this current age, God is glorified when Jesus saves people from their sins. And as such, these men must look upon those who oppose them, not with motives of vengeance, but with mercy. The disciples of Christ will experience the glory of God as they love not only one another, but also their enemies. Y'all still with me? Here's how I blew it. You throw me that water down there? Right next to you. You're a good man. You really threw it. God bless you. <clears throat> so, again, I'm sharing the gospel at Sunday at the park. I don't mean to drink in front of y'all, but I've got something in my throat that should not be there. <clears throat> and so I'm sharing the gospel with this uh, couple of guys, and while I'm sharing the gospel with them, I use that little thing that we use at Sunday at the Park with the uh, shapes, where they're really both the same size. There's like a red card and a blue card, and you show them, that, like, which one's bigger? And they choose one, and then you swap them. Well, the other one looks bigger, and once you swap them over, they're actually the same size. It's an optical illusion. And so anyway, I do this with these guys, and they're all with me on that. And I'm like, it's pretty cool, right? Yeah, yeah. So here, you guys can have that. What's even better is what's on the backside. It tells you how to go to heaven when you die. So let me ask you guys, and I just asked them straight up. So, you know, you go to church anywhere, and they mention uh, a church. And one of them said he didn't go to church. And I said, well, you know, church is important, but not the most important thing. most important thing is what's going to happen to you whenever you die. And so I asked them, if you were to die right now, where do you feel like you'd spend eternity? And 99.9% uh, .9 of the people that you ask that question to say, heaven. And uh, a lot of them ain't right. Y'all listening? Because they think they're getting to heaven by their good works like these men did. So they began to share with me their good works. And so I said, well, let's test that uh, by the Scripture. And I began to take them through the Ten Commandments and uh, show them that indeed they were sinners. Well, they were all good with me while I was using that optical illusion. But as soon as I began to share with them how they were sinners, they didn't like me no more. And so they became sarcastic and uh, vicious in their tone and what they were saying. Uh, somewhat angry at me and um, the response should have been for me to just be overflowing with mercy but instead I was overflowing with anger myself are y'all listening you know how you can feel anger coming up from your feet all the way to the top of your head it's just getting hot so I was getting hot at them and I began to uh, 
drop my brow down at them like this while I was sharing Jesus and open my eyes real big, <laughs> bow it up a little bit. <laughs> Ain't much to bow up, but I try hard. So look, man, if you, if you don't repent of your sin and come to Christ, you're going to die and go to hell. Does that bother you? And uh, by this time, if I would have read that verse, I probably would have quoted it. Lord, why don't you just send fire down now? Beam them up. I'm so mad I couldn't see straight. Um, guess what? God doesn't honor that attitude. Bad attitude. Sorry attitude. I was all messed up. I remember leaving there, too, and I went and uh, was talking to others about how them jokers made me so mad. <laughs> Several other things that I was thinking, but I won't share. Y'all listening? But that's not the attitude. Uh, it's kind of wild. Um, the Lord is like, you should show mercy to these people. And why do we do that? Why do we show mercy to those who oppose the gospel, those who are sarcastic and mean toward us, those in your family that you've been sharing the gospel with, but every time they see you, they talk junk to you, try to make you feel very small about your faith in Jesus Christ. They say, oh, man, you just got Christ. He's just a crutch for your life. So they rag you all of the time. And, uh, you know, sometimes you leave those family events and you talk junk about them, don't you? It's like, yeah, Jesus going to come going to burn them up. Instead of having this attitude of mercy towards those who need Christ. Why should we have that attitude? Namely, because Jesus had that attitude toward us. We are born sinners by nature, born children of the wrath of God. Soon after our birth, we're not only sinners by nature, but we're sinners by choice. The wages of sin is death. However, Jesus came not to destroy, but to save. Save us from condemnation of sin. Save us from the wrath of God. Save us from an eternity in hell. Save us from the power of sin. And as I heard in a message driving home Monday night in a passage uh, through 1 John chapter 3, uh, verse 1, the scripture says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. And literally the idea of how great means uh, what it's the term for country. So it's like, see what country of love the Father has put on us. And, you know, we speak like that today as well, you know, sometimes in the house uh, when my son Gavin's doing something that's just crazy. I just look at him like, what planet are you from, man? You, you've ever said that before? What planet are you from? I probably shouldn't talk like that to my kids, but I'm curious sometimes. <laughs> so we don't act like this on earth. <laughs> That's what John was like. He was like, look at God's love, man. It's, uh, it's like it's from a different planet. We don't know anything like this kind of love which God has bestowed upon us. See how great a love. And you think about it, man, if someone... Uh, looks at the love of God, they begin to find out that it's not conditional and temporary. It is eternal. God chose to set his love upon us before the world was ever formed, Ephesians 1. This love that God has toward us, this love isn't like ours in the sense that we love someone until we get to know them. And you know how that is. It's like, I really thought I loved that person. Then I got to know them. Not so much anymore. Look, the Lord's love is not ignorant of who we are. God knew us before he formed us. He knew every action we would take, every choice that we would make, every thought that you and I have, and yet with full knowledge, God still chose to love you and I. And this love toward us, it is like from a different country because it is a selfless love. What does God get out of loving us? Answer is nothing. It's not like God was bummed out before he met you. He's not lacking. He's not wanting. He's not bored. Loving you and I, he gets nothing out of that. There's no selfish motive in the love of God. And yet he chose by his grace to bestow his love toward us. 
And the ultimate expression of that love toward us came in Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He came to show us God. He came and the Bible says, no greater love has any man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And so Jesus is like, disciples, y'all need to uh, calm down, man. You've got me all wrong. I didn't come to destroy. I came to save. If you want to experience me, if you want to encounter the Father, that has to be your attitude towards people as well. Not to destroy them, but to see them saved. Has to be the attitude of our fellowship. We've got to love people, even when they oppose the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel which we stand for. And listen, look, everybody look at me. I bought, I bought, I'm about done. But listen to me real closely. You're up in the building today, and you haven't responded to the love of God. God created you to know him, but you're like, I, I hear what you're saying. I understand I'm a sinner, but I, I, I reject the love of God. Well, listen, when Christ returns again, he will come to destroy. The first time he came, he came to save. And that's the context in which we live currently, that he would save people, bring them out of sin, bring them out of death, save them from hell and condemnation. Jesus has offered that to you, and you're like, well, I won't believe it till I see him. It'll be too late then, man. So there's still that context, and you are hearing about the love of God this morning. So you need to respond by faith, turning from your sin, trusting what Christ has done for you for the salvation of your soul. And then God changes you. Listen, you cannot be changed by anyone other than God. We have a sin problem, but the Lord radically changes us by his grace. Some of you need to respond to that. And then those of you who are believers, we need to have the attitude we're not too good to serve people. We need to have the attitude that we rejoice when we see God working in others. And then that dude you work with that you've been so mad at because you've been sharing the gospel but he don't like you, he's talking junk about you, don't get back and get ill. Instead, continue to show mercy. And here's what happens as we, are y'all listening? I ain't done yet. Look at the preacher. As you and I begin to show mercy people began to recognize that we're acting completely different than the rest of the world. And so they're like, "Where? what planet are y'all from? Are y'all listening? What planet are y'all from? How is it that you can show mercy to those individuals who hate your guts? Because God showed mercy to us. And his mercy has so changed us that he fills us and controls us now, and we show mercy to others. And then they're so overwhelmed, the Bible says, they will know that you are my disciples because of the love that you show to one another. And some will be redeemed. That's what kind of church I want to be in. Y'all all all right? So I want to encourage you, man. Let's pray that way. Let's lean that way. Let's be great disciples living by these attitudes. And if you don't know Christ this morning, I'd invite you to respond to him by faith. Don't leave here without a relationship with Jesus. You can flat out have one. So let's bow together. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to hearts now, and we'll give you glory for it.